Hello captives and captive friends and welcome to the Global Captive Podcast and our latest COVID-19 special episode. I do hope you are keeping safe, well and getting through this as best you can. If you missed the first instalment of this mini-series on the captive market implications from the coronavirus pandemic, then please do check out the episode released on 24th of March, addressing potential claims activity and disputes with Joseph Holohan at Morris Manning and Martin and Peter Halperin of Passage LLP. But this time we are going to be looking into what kinds of captive assets may be exposed in an extremely volatile investment market right now. And of course, record low interest rates. Joining me to provide some insight in this area are three expert speakers from Friend of the Podcast for 2020, London and Capital. In the following 15-minute discussion, you will hear from Sanjay Joshi, Head of Fixed Income, and Roger Jones, Head of Equities. But first, Chris DL, Executive Director at London and Capital, outlines what assets a typical captive insurer may be exposed to in their portfolio. For those who don't know us, London and Capital are a specialist wealth and asset management firm. Uh, we have a dedicated in- institutional team who look after money for captives and insurers. And that's something we've been doing for almost 15 years now. We're based in the UK, but we manage money for insurers across the world, uh, including the US, where we're regulated by the SEC. In terms of um, the, the the first question, obviously, you know, what kind of investment markets and asset classes are captive investment portfolios likely to be exposed to? This is probably the most straightforward question, but it will help us, you know, set a bit of a scene and lead the discussion around, you know, what we've seen in the investment markets in general over the past three weeks in particular. I think it's important to note first and foremost that captives are set up to take underwriting risk and it's it's with that context and in that background that we we need to remember that investment risk quite rightly typically takes a bit of a back seat. Practically speaking, what we see across uh, the captive industry is a bit of a spectrum of investment risk being taken at the lowest risk end of the spectrum, and I would put that in inverted commas, we see plenty of, in, of captives holding cash or learning back assets to, to their parent companies. That approach, of course, minimizes their exposure to investment markets, but there are a whole host of other uh, risks that are being taken when you keep cash at the bank. I mean, the most obvious risk is that it's counterparty risk with the bank, but for an insurer, you've also got risks around inflation, specific claims inflation where your interest income from from cash deposits may not be able to may not be enough to uh, to keep up with inflation, so you're really seeing a loss of purchasing power, um, and that 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 really is a, a, a relevant risk here. The other end of the spectrum, we've got captives with large amounts of excess capital, perhaps mature, perhaps been around for decades, that are being put to work in investment portfolios. In those circumstances, where the assets aren't necessarily backing liabilities per se, the the, the risk can be much more skewed towards uh, equities and other riskier asset classes. Assuming that's, of course, that the client has the right risk appetite and obviously a long-term investment horizon. All that said, by and large, what we typically see from captive portfolios are you know core fixed income allocations, core fixed income holdings that might include exposure to corporate bonds, government bonds, and also smaller allocation to riskier assets like equities and alternatives, followed then by, uh, by of course, cash and, and cash equivalents, which always have a role to play in every portfolio. 
obviously, if we were to pick the two most relevant asset classes for captives, it would have to be fixed income and equities. And I think that's a nice segue into our next question, which is, you know, what has been happening in the investment markets over the past three weeks? That's a, that's a good setup. And, and indeed, we're really lucky to have Sanjay uh, here, who is works in fixed income at London and Capital. So Sanjay, what has happened or what has been happening in the fixed income space over the past two weeks? And what do you think the future is going to look like? Thanks, Richard. Yes, it's been an extraordinary uh, two to three weeks, really, in the fixed income markets. We came into this year um, expecting very steady monetary policy, a slight rise in government bond yields, potentially QE coming back in certain countries. But of course, it all has turned on its head over the last two to three weeks. And the way that sort of we look at the fixed income market has really been a fracture in started in the fundamental, these are the global risk-free market, which is the government bond markets, where we saw treasury yields behaving remarkably, you know, drops of 50, 60 basis points in 24 hours in the world's risk-free benchmark, which is 10-year government bonds. And then we had a period of 48 hours when the yields went up from 50 basis points to 1%. So these are extraordinary developments in really what should be a flight to quality assets and should be behave stably during periods of stress. We then had a situation where credit spreads moved very rapidly as equity volatility and equity uh, markets moved significantly lower. And we had this strange concept, the first time really I've seen it in my 30 years within the fixed income markets, including 2008 and 2009, where the beta on almost every single fixed income asset moved towards one with equities. And I think that was partially because of fear, uh, but also because of the illiquidity that came into fixed income markets. At the same time, a lot of investment banks are moving operations home. So the this OTC market, which really works on the basis of traders, uh, salesmen and investors working together, started to break down. And the final part that I will add here is that the US dollar funding market became extremely difficult, which then uh, compounded the issues that were taking place within the treasury market and the normal fixed income credit markets. But having said all of that, things have begun to change as we always expected them to change. Central banks have stepped forward. The Federal Reserve has announced a number of very significant measures. And I think two things that I would particularly map out are the intervention in the corporate market, both the secondary and the primary market, but also the liquidity injection into the money markets themselves. I think those particular actions by the Federal Reserve, followed by the Bank of England, the East ECB, the Bank of Japan, and most other emerging market central banks as well, has begun to uh, stabilize the market. So what we are seeing now is that you can start to trade almost all parts of the fixed income markets, be it uh, distressed debt all the way up to high-grade bonds. And one final point I would make is that I think which is very important, and this really was triggered by the Federal Reserve's step into the primary and secondary markets, is that we've seen a, a absolute uh, flood of new issues from companies, be it Procter & Gamble, Coca-Cola, Bertelsmann today. We've seen the primary market reopen both in the euro markets and the dollar markets as companies access the, the bond markets to raise capital to ensure that they 
they can continue to function. And I think it's very important this to remember is that we are all focused on the next three weeks, eight weeks, 12 weeks, but the economy is going to be around for much, much longer. Companies are going to be around for much longer. Banks are going to be around for much longer. And it's good to see that companies are focusing on where they will be in the third, fourth quarter of this year into 2021. So so that is how we really seen the fixed income team. And I must say, you know, the three fixed income managers here between us, uh, we have a 90 year of experience, not that we're all 90 years old, but we each of us worked for 30 years each. And this has been one of the most turbulent periods we can ever remember in the bond markets, but we're seeing stability, we're seeing signs of light. Roger, we've just heard from Sanjay on the fixed income markets. Can you give us a, a similar breakdown on what's been happening in the equity markets over the past two weeks and what the future is likely to look like? Yeah, absolutely. It feels like um, predicting the future at the moment in terms of equity markets is a little bit um, like needing a, a crystal ball to look forward. But I think in terms of what we've seen, it all started in the equity markets. So the sizable sell-offs that we saw and the retraction in price action, the dislocation in prices was all equity market driven to start with. So the speed and the velocity of this um, market and the equity market and the depth that it fell, it's only been matched a few times in history, actually, in, in terms of stock market crashes. We saw this in October 1987. Very different event, but I think it's the uh, same sort of size of shock to investors, equity investors, where this um, really came out of the blue. Uh, it wasn't long ago that the COVID-19, uh, the expectations was this would be a short-term problem, refined just to China. That spread globally very quickly. And now we find ourselves in lockdown in large parts of the world. And this is, for equity markets, something they're really struggling to deal with. It's a pretty unprecedented event. There's no blueprint in the market of, of how to deal with this. Um, we have had, as Sanji mentioned, the support of the central banks and the government, which has been substantial uh, and very fast this time, is, and uh, to match almost the speed of the declines in markets. Um, governments have stepped up, as, as have central banks, to try and alleviate some of these short-term issues. Because what we're speaking about now is for the next three to six months, we're going to have really revenue and sales holidays, if you like, for a lot of companies, they are not going to be able to sell any of their produce, whether it be goods or services, uh, and it's going to be an incredibly tough uh, time for them. Now, in terms of the ability for companies to get through this, they're reasonably well set, uh, I would suggest. We have generally position of support from governments, from banks, from borrowers, and I think we also have the understanding from investors now that the reality has hit home, that this is something that was unavoidable almost at a company level or unpredictable, I should say more accurately, at a company level. And now the, these companies are starting to recover. It's been gradual. Um, it's still very choppy markets. The market is still very concerned um, about the short term and what this will mean. Will there be financial distress for companies? Well, companies have to raise equity, and we've seen a little bit of that starting. And then there is also optimism starting to come back into equity markets for medium and longer term investors. And this is based on the fact that once you get these very large historic sell-offs, 
if you manage to build positions, accumulate equity positions, then when you come out the other side of this, the returns are very good normally on a medium to longer term basis. So we're starting to see uh, interest coming back into equity markets for investors to accumulate positions. Um, It's still very selective. It's still very early. We could even go down further again. We could test the lows. We've not seen some of the shock numbers that we're going to see where earnings have fallen by very large quantum over the next few months. But I think there is generally more of a look-through sort of approach to this. And also, there's been some areas of equity market that has actually managed to hold up quite well, and some areas that have benefited almost in the short term. Clearly, a lot of the consumer staple stocks with all the hoarding and bulk buying of goods has have had boom times in terms of their sales. We've had technology companies with a lot of individuals being forced to adapt to new technology and endorse new technology. And also, clearly, we've had healthcare companies. And the, the future prospects for healthcare companies, I think, now look a lot brighter, especially in terms of the, the regulatory sense as well, given the understanding that governments will enter into post this uh, event of the importance of investing in healthcare. So it's not all doom and gloom, but it has been a real shock to equity markets and, and a really very much an unprecedented event. I think one thing I just want to come back to on Richard is, um, you know, when Chris speaks to the captive insurers uh, in particular is an issue about zero interest rate policy. The fact that we now have unprecedented monetary loosening across the globe, particularly in the developed economies, is what impact that has on uh, fixed income investors, insurance companies who are holding cash. And I think that is very, very important because clearly what central bankers are doing is really twofold. First of all, ensure that there is liquidity in the system. But secondly, ensuring that as we get through this virus hit on the economy, that investors start taking risk again. Now, this is not to say that you go down to distressed debt into high yield territory, but that they return to what really both Roger and myself talk about is the high quality companies, the companies that have long term will have strong earnings in the long term will be part of the economic infrastructure. Um, and I think this whole zero interest rate policy raises very interesting questions on how insurance companies will reallocate the cash holdings, potentially have higher equity weighting given the falls that Roger has been talking about, and potentially um, allocating even more money into the corporate debt market, which is I, you know, uh, which is why a number of companies have already issued in billions of dollars of new bonds over the last forty-eight hours. Thank you, Roger and Sanjay. That really gives us an idea of kind of what's been happening in, in the fixed income and equity markets over the past two weeks. So, Chris, bringing it back to, directly to the, to the captive insurers, how should captives and the captive managers and the captive owners be responding to this situation and, and what steps should and can they be taking? Yeah, that's that's a great question, Richard. And I think, obviously, as cliche as it is, every captive is unique and um, each captive's reaction will, of course, be different. But I think there are some common steps, there's some com- common thought processes that, that that I think every captive can benefit from going through at this, at this point in the cycle. First, I think, is to really review your assets. Do you know how your portfolio is invested? 
just in very basic terms, do you know what asset classes you're exposed to, what sectors you're exposed to? If you're in cash, do you know what interest rates uh, you're getting for your cash deposits, given the recent rate cuts? If you're in equities, do you know where in equities? Are you in a passive investment fund? Are you in an active investment fund that takes distinct and differentiated bets, as it were, on the market? If you're a fixed income investor, are you in corporate bonds? Are you in government bonds? All of these questions really uh, should should be uh, easily addressed by, by the investment committee and certainly reviewed again in light of, of what's happened over the last three weeks. I think the second point is we should all be encouraging each other to engage with your investment manager if you have one. At times like these, the way an investment manager can really add value is, is to communicate regularly with the uh, the board, the management, the investment committee, share their views on what they're seeing in the market, provide the captive with a bit of added context around their decision making. And I think feeding into that is make sure you're discussing what risks are in your portfolio with your investment manager. Do you have exposure to cyclical sectors like energy, transport, hospitality? Are you likely to see impairments? Are you likely to see defaults? Are you really, uh, you know, looking to change the makeup of the portfolio? Uh, Have you got a good handle on what the investment manager is doing in, in the current conditions? And I think finally, what your investment manager can help with is is really uh, your expectations around investment returns uh, on a forward-looking basis. I think a lot of the times we see captives with business plans, you know, assuming a 5% return, assuming a 4% return, and yet invested only in government bonds. Well, that's the government bonds are not going to get you to that point. So it's worth looking at those investment return expectations and and, and looking at how those square with your current business plan and perhaps um, making it a little bit more realistic or making changes to your investment portfolio. And I think finally, you know, take some time to take a step back, review your risk appetite, look at your investment governance framework, make sure you review all the captive, the options available to your captive. Perhaps after the last three weeks, you have a much better understanding of the investment risk in your portfolio. Maybe you're looking to pair that back. The low volatility environment that we've seen in the investment markets over the last three, four years may well have lulled some captives into a bit of a false sense of security and, and maybe expose some captives to investment risks that they weren't necessarily prepared for. Um, on the other hand, Maybe your captive is in a position to actually take advantage of the opportunities that are going to come out of these market conditions. Maybe they've been really conservatively invested and actually they're going to come out relatively unscathed and, uh, and ready to take a bit of investment risk and, and, and drive a bit of uh, uh, returns, especially in the context of a hard market. You could see how big a larger amount of investment returns could really help a captive's core business. I mean, I think in in any instance you know what 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 we'd recommend any captive to do is start preparing for any potential changes now it takes a bit of time working with your insurance manager and your investment manager or perhaps looking for a new investment manager or looking for a new bank uh, to hold your assets you know that can all take time so if you're looking to adjust that or 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 think again about what how you're how you're set up then uh, then i would start start those conversations now So I think there are some quite clear messages there for captives, their owners, boards, 
and managers to get their heads around in regards to next steps. So thank you to Chris, Sanjay and Roger and the London and Capital team for helping me to pull this together pretty quickly. We are very aware that we are in a busy captive board meeting season so I expect there will be a lot of discussions concerning asset management strategies in the coming weeks and months so hopefully that has been a a bit of a helpful guide for you in terms of what to expect. To find out more about London and Capital then do visit their website londonandcapital.com and you can find biographies of our free speakers as well as Chris DL's contact details in the episode description. If you are not already then please do make sure you are subscribed or following the Global Captive podcast on iTunes iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts from. And do give our LinkedIn page a follow and a share as well. See you next time, captives.